Welcome to episode 132 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is the first 40 miles. Today on the first 40 miles, remember that BLM land we talked about in episode 131? Yeah. We have some exciting news to share. It's being turned into a strip mall. Just kidding. (laughs) A cleanup group in Oregon has scheduled a cleanup there, and we're inviting all of our first 40 milers. Then we'll teach you how to get street cred on the trail without having to roll up your pant leg and show any raccoon bite marks. Then on the Summit Gear Review, will the inflatable insanity ever end? And a backpack hack of the week that will keep you clean. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. On episode 131, our last episode, we were talking about this top secret BLM land that our family is going to use as our go-to backpacking spot when we just want to get out, go somewhere close, and go somewhere familiar. But the downside was how messy it was right at the trailhead where we would park our car. I mean, it's just a mess there. And that's our first impression of going to that spot. And as we shared last week, one of our kids just doesn't want to go to that spot because of how messy it is at the trailhead. And of course, if you can get past that, then it's beautiful and lush and there's this little rolling trail. It's just so beautiful. But yeah, that trailhead is just a trashed mess. We, as a family, we wanted to clean it up. So I called the BLM office and asked if there were any kind of, you know, dump sites that they wanted us to take the stuff to, or if there's any kind of protocol or rules for cleaning up, you know, maybe they look for evidence to see who made the mess, you know, were there any things that we needed to know before we went out there to clean up the site? And they said, well, if you let us know what the site is, we can tell you if there's going to be a cleanup scheduled. And there's actually an official cleanup scheduled for that site. It's actually the whole region. It's called the Bald Mountain region, and it's within a larger district in the BLM. But it's an event that's put on by Solve Oregon. And they said last year they had over 100 people at this little event. And it was like raining, but they still had lots of happy volunteers. And I think they had lunch together and they sent everyone out to smaller areas, you know, little tracts of BLM land to do the cleanup. And then there was a dump site where everyone could bring their stuff. So this is going to be this bald mountain cleanup is going to be our very first first 40 miles event. Cool. Well, we're excited that they already had this cleanup planned because we wanted to go out and clean up that area in our secret backpacking spot. But what to do with all the trash that we collected? We wouldn't be able to bring it home and fit it in our residential garbage can for the garbage truck to pick up. So we were kind of at a loss. We could collect all this garbage. Then what? Do we just leave it in bags on the side of the road and hope that the BLM drives by and finds it or what? So we were excited to find out that on June 10th, 
they'll have a cleanup just a couple miles away from our site, which means we can go gather at their gathering spot for the cleanup, and then we can take off a couple miles back down the road, and our secret backpacking spot can be the spot that we clean up. Everyone meets at Sheridan Peak, and then they send all the volunteers out into different areas of that BLM land. And we thought, wow, this is a perfect opportunity to invite first 40 milers who may live nearby, uh, somewhere near the Oregon Coast Range, to come out and help with the cleanup. And hey, we'd get to meet each other too. Yeah, and we'll let you in on our secret spot. We would even take you down the trail and show you the exact area. And then you can camp there whenever you want to. And then also Solve Oregon, which is the organization that's actually organizing this event, they'll be providing lunch too. And I think as many trash bags as you can hold. They'll be providing lunch and trash bags. <laughs> so it's going to be a really exciting event. Um, I guess the only kind of downer about this event, or upper, however you want to look at it, is that this is a yearly event. And that not only is this area being cleaned up every single year, which that's not really a good thing to have to clean up a forest every year, but also BLM workers frequently visit these sites and do clean up or look for evidence to find out who made these massive messes. It's, it is it is kind of sad that a forest has to be cleaned up once a year. I mean, that is unfortunate, but we're super excited to be a part of this cleanup and we're excited to meet some other first 40 milers. So if you'd like to meet up with us on June 10th and help out with this cleanup, then visit the show notes page for today's episode. Those are at thefirst40miles.com slash 132. On the show notes page, we will have a link to the Bald Mountain Cleanup on the Solve Oregon website. That page will have all the info you need about the cleanup, where it's located, it runs from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and it has a registration button. So when you click register now, then you can choose to say that you're registering as part of a group. And if you do that, you'll see the first 40 miles as one of the group options. So you can choose that and then just put in your contact info and you'll be registered for the cleanup. Then on June 10th, we'll show up and you'll show up and we'll all look for each other and we can head back down the road and get it cleaned up. Yeah, that sounds a lot better than having that land turned into a strip mall. Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> what an odd place for a strip mall. Reminds me of that song. Oh, they paved paradise. And put, and put up, up a parking, parking lot. lot. <laughs> for today's top five list, we have the top five ways to get street cred on the trail. If you're new to backpacking, you're learning a lot, but you probably don't always want to look like you're the new guy or new gal on the trail. If you want to build a little bit of street cred before you've built up your mileage, then we have the perfect top five list for you today. So why would you even want to build street cred on the trail? I mean, street credibility is all about kind of fitting in or, you know, showing that you have some level of understanding of what's going on around you. And people might get the idea that in order to get street cred on the trail, you have to have the latest gear, you have to have all these peaks bagged, you have to have scars, or you have to have these intense stories. But street credibility actually has nothing to do with any of that. I think street cred has more to do with not sticking out. 
Yeah, that's one reason that people would want to develop this. Uh, should we call it trail cred? Trail cred, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the street cred on the trail, uh, just so they don't feel like they stick out. Sometimes you don't want to be pandered to as the newbie, the one who needs all the help. And this might be one of the, I don't know, fears or insecurities that people have when they're first going out on the trail. They don't want to look like they're the new guy. Oh, absolutely. We went to a little track competition a couple of days ago with our youngest kid who's still in elementary school. So we have a couple of kids in track and they're used to the routine. They know what a track meet is like and they know what to do at the track meet. But we went there with our youngest who had never been in a track meet before. And we've actually, we've watched a couple track meets, I guess, but We've never been participants in a track meet. We don't really know what it's like and what we're supposed to do as a participant. And so, yeah, we felt a little uncomfortable and out of place as we tried to figure out, well, where does our son need to be when? And is he going to know all the rules like about staying in his lane and, and about how to wait till the shot is fired to start the race? Just all these little things that you just don't know anything about it. So you feel a little uh, lack of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And nobody wants to feel that, especially on a backpacking trip. You want to feel some level of confidence, like you said. So we're going to teach you today how to get a little bit of street cred on the trail. I can't guarantee that this will get you any respect from your trail mates, but it'll at least help you feel a little bit more secure when you're out on the trail for those first few times. The number one way to get street cred on the trail is to do your homework. This one caught me on our last trip. I didn't read anything about the hike. It was this four-mile hike in Ecola State Park to this cute little hiker camp. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, four miles? Okay, yeah, we can handle that. I didn't read anything about the hike and ended up feeling pretty grumpy halfway through the hike. and just feeling dumb that I didn't read anything about it. I had no idea that it was rated as difficult because of all the mud and that there were going to be mudslides and downed trees. And it made me feel less secure and less sure of myself on the trail. And it really did affect my experience. So this first one is for me. I need to do my homework, have that data about the trail and maybe even look up some secondhand info about the trail, like those trail reports that people post online. When you're getting ready for your first trip, it's impossible to know everything that you're going to need to know about that trip. You could be doing your homework about the particular trail that you're taking, the weather reports, what should go in your pack, what you should wear. You know, there's just so much that you could be doing your homework on, and it's probably good to cover the bases. But here's a little tip. If you can do your homework to where you become the expert on just one thing about that trip, that gives you a ton of street cred. Like on one of our backpacking trips with our friends, one of our friends is professionally a cartographer. He, he works with GPS and GIS and maps. He's the maps expert. Well, because he's the maps expert, none of us really think about what he doesn't know. We just think about the fact that he knows maps. And we can turn to him whenever we have a map question. So be that expert on one thing. You, you pick it, become the expert on it, and everyone's going to turn to you for that one thing. And then you can turn to others for the other questions. The number two way to get street cred on the trail is 
don't complain, because whatever shred of street cred you have built up, complaining is the number one thing that will kill not just trail cred, but all cred. (laughs) This one caught you on our last trip, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This one's for me, too. (laughs) Yeah, this one's a rough one. This one is a perpetual trial for me. Definitely. But you killed this one on your first 40-mile trip. That's because I was trying to impress a boy. You're trying to develop street cred. Well, (laughs) you did it. It worked. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad. (laughs) Yeah, but it is a constant battle for me. And, you know, I try not to let things fly out of my mouth, but they do. And I think what I need to work on is the proactive problem solving, because it's one thing to say, oh, my feet are soaked. They're cold. They're wet. I can't feel them. It's another thing to say, my feet got wet. Do you happen to have a pair of shoes that I could slip on for tonight so I don't have to wear the wet shoes? You know, it just sounds different. It's proactive. I could probably do a much better job of problem solving. Okay, so when we say don't complain, I think we have to balance this with tip number three, which is to be open to suggestions. Ooh, elaborate. Well, when we say don't complain, you might get the idea Oh, great. That means if I start feeling some weird pain in my body, I should just ignore it and not tell anyone about it. Or if I lose a piece of gear, I should just stay quiet about it and keep it inside. You know, keep hiking on and don't let anyone know because I'm new and I don't want them to know that I'm new. And when we say don't complain, that's not what we're talking about. It's important to be open to suggestions. So as you run into problems on the trail, Don't hesitate to ask someone about that problem and to get their input. And this could be before the trail or while you're on the trail. But isn't it amazing when you ask for people's input and advice? I don't know how it works, but it doesn't make them think of you as a newbie who doesn't know anything. It actually increases their respect for you and their connection to you, their empathy for you. There's something very paradoxical about that. When you reach out to ask someone's opinion, it goes a long way toward lifting you both up and building that mutual respect that is such a foundation of our trail experience. The number four way to get street cred on the trail is to help others. So whether you're helping to gather wood for a fire um, or offering to pump water for someone or just offering information to other hikers about the trail conditions ahead, all of those things contribute to lifting everyone on the trail, including you. On our recent backpacking trip, we had quite a few people pass us as we were hiking to the hiker camp at Ecola State Park, and each one of them gave us the mud update. And my immediate thought was, hey, these are really helpful, cool people. If it was their very first hike, I would have never known because they were so willing to share their knowledge, their experience, the trail condition behind them. And that's why if you can help other people, it really goes a long way toward boosting your street cred on the trail. When we took a day hike to God's Thumb back in the winter, you know, the one where we lost both our son and our camera. I remember that one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, as I was out looking for our son and then later looking for our camera as well, I ran into a couple different hikers or groups of hikers that asked me about the trail and where it goes. Now out there, it's this sort of labyrinth of trails that start going off in every direction. But I had a picture of the trail map on my phone. 
And so whenever they asked, I brought it up and showed them the image on my phone and said, here's where we are. And, you know, this trail goes out to the actual thumb, God's thumb. This one goes down to this youth camp that's down there by the beach. These two trails both take you back into town. So that was my very first time on that hike. I, I was a newbie to that area. I'd never been there before. And yet I was able to help people because of a resource that I had. And the number five way to get street cred on the trail is to be observant. You can learn a lot in a little amount of time by just quietly observing. Josh, you are a very observant person. I'm just wondering if you have any experience that you want to share where you've observed other hikers or backpackers, or you've observed your surroundings and were able to come to some kind of conclusion that helped you on the trail. I'm always looking around to make sure I know where I am. And and our youngest son is like that a lot too. He, he really likes to know where he is, and he'll usually carry his map in his hands while we're on a trip. And he did that on that first family backpacking trip that we took three years ago now. It was just a small section of the Pacific Crest Trail, and I helped him to observe along the way by looking at his map and looking at what was around him and saying, okay, see that lake there that you see? Well, on the map, it looks like this. So you know that you are next to that lake on the map, or as we crossed a road or other features along the trail, we were able to observe our surroundings and match that up with where we were on the map. I also really like to observe the weather. That's not just looking up at the sky to see what clouds are coming, but it's sensing the wind and it's feeling the changes in temperature. And I don't know if I can feel changes in barometric pressure or not. I'm not sure on that one. I don't get creaky knees or anything from, from barometer changes, but it's fun to use all of those senses, right? Because you, you see the weather, you hear the weather, you feel the weather in a few different ways. I don't know if you taste the weather. I have to think about that. I guess when it starts raining. <laughs> anyway, just using all those different senses to stay in tune with what's going on in the environment around me. And there have been times due to that, that I've stopped and said, hey, kids, it's going to start raining in a minute. Might want to put on your rain gear or cover your packs. It certainly happened on your first 40 mile trip when we were going around Mount Hood and we got to a spot where all of us who had been backpacking a while, we knew that it was going to start raining in a few minutes. And we all stopped and put on our rain gear. I'm learning those things. I'm picking up these things slowly. Definitely observation is something that you can do even if you're a newbie, but the longer you do it and the more years you do it, the more depth your observations have. And you can actually sense a lot more. You kind of develop that sixth sense out in the wilderness. Yeah, you get way better at it over time. It makes me think of fishermen. If I go down to a lake or a river, that's all I see is a lake or a river. But someone with lots of experience as a fisherman sees a lot more than I see. That person knows where the fish are by observing and by comparing those observations to their past experience. Me? I'm clueless. I have no idea where the fish are. Just water. Just a, yeah. Big pile of water. <laughs> well, we really hope that today's top five list gives you a little bit more confidence on the trail. Just remember that street cred on the trail has nothing to do with what gear you have or how much you paid for it 
or, you know, how many mountains you've scaled or anything like that. It all has to do with what kind of attitude you bring to the trail. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Dumbo Air Chair. Inflatable hammocks are all over the place right now, but this one is a little bit different. And this one we feel is a great option for backpacking because it's smaller and lighter than the traditional. We can say that. These things are just a few traditional, years old. Traditional, yeah. Just been I mean, around a year or two. Right. But it is just as fun. Well, the Dumbo Air Chair is made out of a nano nylon that doesn't require a plastic liner on the inside, which means that it's lighter and easier to inflate than many of the other inflatable hammocks. The nylon is actually TPU lined, and so you don't have this separate bag of air inside of a nylon shell. It's all one big piece of fabric. This chair has two parts. There is the main seat that you sit on, and then there's also a detachable pillow. And then it comes with a carrying bag as well. The Dumbo Air Chair has one continuous air chamber, as opposed to other inflatable hammocks that we've seen that have two. So that means that it's so much easier to inflate. And the closure is like those roll-top dry bags. So it's a big, large opening, so you're able to just scoop some air into it and then roll it down a little bit, a few rolls down, and clip the buckle. And it's a locking buckle. So if you sit on the air chair, the buckle's not just going to pop open. It's the first time I've seen a locking buckle like this before. So you push this button in the center of the buckle, and then you can open the buckle by squeezing the sides. Have you seen anything like it before? No, because most buckles, you just squeeze the sides and you're able to unbuckle. So that's interesting to have a second mechanism for keeping it locked. The recommended weight limit on the Dumbo Air Chair is 500 pounds, or as they say, 1.5 sumo wrestlers. Okay, that's helpful. That's helpful. <laughs> In terms of mass, the Dumbo Air Chair weighs 21 ounces, so a pound and a quarter approximately. The pillow, as we said, is detachable. That weighs four ounces. So if you leave the pillow home, then you're down to just a pound. You can also use the pillow as a stuff sack for the Dumbo Air Chair or for any of your gear. It's going to be a waterproof, watertight sack. Nice, multi-use item. Yeah, so if you weren't really sure if you wanted to bring the pillow, go ahead and bring it and just stick all your other stuff inside of it. When it's inflated, the Dumbo Air Chair is about two-thirds the size of the inflatable hammock the wind pouch that we reviewed on episode 116. Two-thirds the size, but way lighter. The wind pouch is three pounds one ounce, or 49 ounces, so the Dumbo air chair is less than half of the weight. For maintenance, in order to fill the Dumbo air chair, you just open it up and then kind of wave it in the air. You can run if you want to, or you can just kind of do this swirly pattern in the air with it open. And then as soon as it's filled with air, you close it really quickly and roll down the top maybe three or four times, and then buckle it in place. And you can play around a little bit with how much or how little you inflate it. You'll find your sweet spot. When I had it more highly inflated, I felt a little tipsy, like I was going to kind of roll off or tip off to the side. So by taking out some of the air, it felt a little more stable. Uh, take out too much air and your bottom's on the ground. I thought it was more comfortable, a little underinflated and more like a beanbag chair. And maybe this is just intuitive, but the air chair is not for jumping on. It's not like a trampoline kind of thing. And here's the cool thing. We didn't have to learn this lesson the hard way. 
And you might want to keep it away from the campfire. Ooh. That could be a bit of a surprise, couldn't another it? Another good lesson that we didn't have to learn the hard way. Yeah. For investment, the Dumbo air chair costs $70. And at this point in time, the air chair is sold out on their website. So I'm curious over the next couple of weeks if they're going to get it back in stock. The same technology that they use on the air chair is used on all of the Dumbo products, but I really like the air chair. Because it's more compact, it's lightweight, it's great for backpacking, and um, hopefully they'll have it back in stock within the next few days. So the Dumbo Air Chair is lightweight, it's super easy to use, and it's one of those things that can be your personal backpacking luxury item. I know it's really popular to bring just something off the wall, maybe something that's not on the official backpacking list of things that you have to bring. It's, it's definitely not a survival item, but it's just such a fun thing that if you were to throw it in your pack and bring it on a weekend trip, it would maybe just provide that comfort, a little bit of luxury. It can give you a place to relax in camp. You could even bring it out onto the lake. These things float. It's totally a backpacking luxury item. But in the one pound range, I don't think there's much else that you could bring that would be quite as head turning and impressive as the Dumbo air chair. For today's backpack hack of the week, soap powder. There are lots of ways to bring soap on the trail. You can bring a little bottle of liquid soap. You can bring a bar of soap. You could even make those little soap tubes that we talked about. In one of our first 40 episodes, which episode was that, Josh? Episode 10. Wow. It was way back there. And then there's also something called soap sheets. They're these little pieces of paper that have been embedded with soap. Oh, that's like the peerless watercolor sheets that we have. Yes, exactly. Except they won't turn your hands glorious, rich right, colors. Right, right, right. <laughs> soap instead of color, but... Right. So there are lots of great reasons to bring soap on the trail. You can use it for first aid, cleaning dishes, and doing a little light laundry. But here's a different way to bring soap than what we've talked about before, and it makes it easy to use and quick to dissolve. That is soap powder. So to turn your bar of soap into soap powder, all you need to do is stick a bar of soap into your blender. And this is going to work best with those white bars of soap, not the glycerin clear bars of soap. And if you can find an unscented bar of soap, that's going to be your best option on the trail. You don't want to be bringing a lot of scents with you on the trail because, of course, that will attract all sorts of curious animals. So which blender is better, the Blendtec or the Vitamix? <laughs> that's not for this show. Oh, okay. Inappropriate question, Josh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever blender. Okay, and say you don't have a turbo-powered blender, you could also use a mortar and pestle. And I don't have a brand recommendation for that. So just get that soap pounded down into powder in whatever manner you choose to. Josh, do you remember in elementary school how in the bathrooms they had the pink soap powder? Yeah, I remember the dispensers where it had kind of a knob coming down below. Yeah. And when you bumped your hand up on the knob, yes. it would open a little bit of an opening and let some powder out. Yes. So do they still sell that stuff? I don't know. Maybe black market. Like, <laughs> you got to know the right people to get soap powder, especially the pink soap powder. Yeah, that's special. I, I don't 
Yeah, we probably had pink. I the stuff I remember more was was white with maybe a, a few blue specks in it. That sounds like laundry detergent. Maybe that's why I'm remembering. Hey, okay. They do still sell soap powder. Oh, yeah. It's called laundry detergent. That's right. <laughs> Just make sure you buy stuff that's safe for the environment if you're taking it backpacking. Oh, that's true. And unscented. But this soap powder, you can use it for your body, for dishes, for laundry. Right. The stuff you're talking about, taking a bar of soap and, and grinding it down to a powder, is soap. Of course, you would use it to wash the dishes, too, and whatever else you need to use it for on a backpacking trip. But laundry detergent is a little more of a special purpose made for washing clothes. Yes, do not wash your face with Tide. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need some wisdom. Yeah. Okay. For today's trail wisdom, we have a splendid quote. I'm going off script. Help me out. How do yeah, I get back on track? We'll leave track? you today with some trail wisdom from... <laughs> we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Isaac Walton. He said, good company in a journey makes the way seem the shorter. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to join us for the Solve Cleanup, we'll be meeting Saturday, June 10th, 2017 at 9 o'clock in the morning at Sheridan Peak. And we'll have the link to that events page in the show notes today. And you'll find today's show notes at thefirst40miles.com slash 132. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. So if you'd like to meet up with us and help out with this clean out, clean out. <laughs> yes, meet up, help out with clean up. Whoa. I got it. <laughs> half a sentence out. Here comes the second half. <laughs> Quick, finish the episode before it starts raining too hard. That is a lot of rain. This is intense rain, people. This is real rain.